Welcome to the Barfly Podcast Season 2. My name is Jeff Burkhart, Barfly columnist for the Marin IJ and author of the book 20 Years Behind Bars and its newly released sequel, 20 Years Behind Bars, Volume 2, Parole Denied. Today, my co-host is Kevin Blum, Community Director for the online review site, Yelp. Welcome, Kevin. So don't worry about tomorrow, take it for today, forget about the chat, we'll get hell to pay, have a drink on Hello, everybody, and welcome to the show. Today, we have a, a special guest, Diane Mina, the partner in the Mina Restaurant Group, along with her husband, celebrity chef Michael Mina. She's also the founder of Diane's Bloody Mary Mix. So, Diane, thanks for coming on the show. Thank you so much, Jeff. It's a pleasure to be here. Happy Friday. <laughs> Indeed. And what goes better on a Friday than a Bloody Mary, right? It definitely starts the weekend. <laughs> I can tell you that. <laughs> Precursor. So, you have a, a product that you've had out for a little bit here called Diane's uh, Bloody Mary Mix. So tell us a little bit about that. Yes, we launched, we started the um, research and development, creating the, the recipe actually in 2014. And we launched with a major retailer with Williams-Sonoma in 2017. And now we're, you know, outside the Williams-Sonoma walls. We are in five, four different markets with Southern Glaciers Wine and Spirits. So we've grown a pretty good amount in a very short period of time. So we're very happy. We're here. We're in other retail stores, BevMo and Whole Foods and Home Goods and you know, we're really hitting a lot of on-premise hotels and, and whatnot and, and ultimate goal to be poolside <laughs> for Bloody Marys. So That's a great idea. So what, I mean, why Bloody Marys? What what, what was the, the, the impetus for that? Growing up on the East Coast, you know, I was from Long, I'm from, I was born in Long Island, Beth Page, Long Island, and East Coast parties with the families. That's all we did was clam bakes. At a very young age, I was introduced to Mr. And Mrs. T's and, you know, just everything that comes with a clam bake with the fresh selfish from Lake Ronkonkoma to, you know, the boiled potatoes, the whole nine yards. And then there'd be a, my grandpa, my pop-up, we call them, Charlie Campaign um, would put a whole feast out. So there would be a food table and then there'd be a bar table. Exactly what you can envision if you close your eyes real tight. Checkered, checkered tablecloth, full-blown Italian and Puerto Rican families blended together. And we would just, there would be a food table and a booze table. And I <laughs> somehow navigated over to both as my grandfather was shucking the clams. I was 10 years old and I was I was sneaking a fresh clam, you know, cherry stones right out of the bin. And then he'd say, you want to try this? <laughs> want to try this cocktail? And I'd be like, yes, sir, I would love that. <laughs> so that's where it started, The kind of that really spice, really savory, kind of interesting, bright flavor. Uh, you know, and I drank Yoohoo's most of my time. I, we didn't drink soda pop. We, I was a big, I grew up on uh, chocolate Yoohoo's. So that's where it started. Fell in love with it. And then fell in love with a man named Michael Mina in uh, 1991, I want to say. And, and how did you meet Michael? We were both working at the Four Seasons Clift Hotel at the time. He was actually the pastry chef. And I was serving high English tea in the Redwood Room back in the day when it was the Clift Hotel, when it was privately owned by the Warby. So it was quite, quite the, quite the place. The only place to be was the Cliff Hotel, the Redwood Room, the iconic yeah. Redwood Room. So now, high tea is always a fabulous thing. I've had a high tea there, and and, and other in Savoy in, in in London was great. So you met him as a, a, a was he your boss or what was a? <laughs> no, he was in charge of my. School the scones. And, um, you know, we, we would see each other in the back of the kitchen and I was actually dating someone else at the time. And he was in and out doing his thing from CIA to coming to there, just all over the place. And 
the head chef there, Kelly Mills, was like, yes, yeah, this, this guy, this guy, Michael, makes your scones. I'm like, yeah, well, he's late. Who is this guy? <laughs> I said, I got to be on the floor by two. And uh, he's like 2.12. And I'm like, you know, I've got people ready to rock and roll. It's only from like two to five. So I was like, yo, what's going on there? And he's like, who are you? So that's kind of how it started. <laughs> so, um, uh, love at first sight, right? <laughs> pretty much. I think on one side, he was like, either he was going to be, oh, I love her or, oh my gosh, I can't stand her. So thankfully it was the first. <laughs> and you guys have been together how long now? Well, we met in 90, 90 excuse me, 91. Well, 80, yeah, so 90, late 90, 91. Wow. So whatever that is, I'm, you know, I'm an old lady. Let's not add that up. Don't even start with me. Right? <laughs> yeah. but, so uh, so your Bloody Mary thing is, uh, is but your, is your own deal, right? That's it is a- my own deal. Yeah. I mean, I grew up on, like I said, when I, you know, Mr. and Mrs. T's, then it kind of graduated when I was, a, you know, turned 21, Clamato was the thing to do. Yeah. And I liked that a lot because of the viscosity of it. And it was thinner. You know, I didn't really like a heavy, heavy taste of the tomato juice. So I really liked the Clamato and I loved putting my own elements to it. Actually dating, you know, through my process of my East Coast parties and my family, Puerto Rican Italian background, and then meeting chef, I just started incorporating a lot of different savories. It's not rocket science. Like I said, it's a pretty classic combination, but it does matter how much Mm -hmm. of each one of those ingredients you put in (laughs) because you can you can always have a heavy hand and the poor bloody mary gets a bad rap you know they kind of put a lot of meals to it and i'm not about the garnish i mean i love beautiful garnishes that enhance the cocktail but at the end of the day you know back in the day in the 1930s when this it was just tomato juice and vodka and celery and a pinch of salt very simple the garnishes have gotten a little out of hand these days yeah, they really have. And, you know, it's, I think it's cool to get that creative and, th- and anybody who can balance that much food on a, on a 10 pint or a, uh, whatever, a 16 ounce pint glass. Congratulations <laughs> to you. But, uh, right. You know, that right. just doesn't look good. You know, talk to the guy 10 minutes later. He's probably not going to feel that great. You know, uh, a quarter pound cheeseburger is not going to make your Bloody Mary taste better. Right? <laughs> it's, now, it really, I mean, it really isn't. And they actually don't go together very well. Um, that's another thing too. My culinary background. I don't know if you guys have ever had a bloody with a burger. Mm-mm. What are you gonna What not. are you gonna have with a burger? You're gonna have a nice ice cold beer, right? Yeah. Or or a soda pop. So bloodies don't usually go with that. But uh, anyway, I digress. Or you. So, what would you pair your Bloody Mary with? So my Bloody Marys, I love seafood with Bloody Marys. So like raw bars are great, the oysters and, and, and whatnot. I, I love breakfast dishes. So anything with eggs and savories. I opened up a first of its kind Bloody Mary bar in San Francisco in 2018 and ran that concept for about six months through our Mina test kitchen. We acquired that space a few years back to run concepts through that small space to uh, see if they're successful so that we could, you know, maybe if that one concept worked really well that we would open up to a larger format. So before you dive into a restaurant space where you're dropping, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars, we were able to have an incubator starter. And we had a lot of concepts come through Mina Test Kitchen. And one of them was Diane's Buddy Mary. Actually, I leveraged my relationship with my husband. Like, listen, I'm, I've been with you for 30 years now, or, you know, 28 at the time. And I was like, I, I know what I'm doing. Trust me that I, no one is doing this. I think we could do a Bloody Mary bar all around the Bloody Mary, the ingredients that are within the Bloody Mary. So again, brought in some of my East Coast favorites, the Long Island egg sandwich, which was called the LIE after the Long Island Expressway, if anybody knows about that. right? And it was a double-double. It was the Kaiser roll with the black poppy seed, double egg, double cheese, double ham. And it was 
perfect. And that's <laughs> my perfect pairing to the Bloody Mary is a Long Island egg sandwich. Oh, that's great. Well, and you know, the, I mean, the test kitchen idea is, an, is the, the restaurant special idea, right? Don't, don't change the menu until, you know, people like it. Run it as a special, see if they like it, and then put it on the menu if it works. That's exactly right. And now, of course, you know, I'm not sure how, you know, they, the walk, what do you think of the walk-up Bloody Mary, Mar? Is that what you, you know, the, the whole thing, build your own Bloody Marys, I guess they call it, which I think might be a thing of the past after this COVID thing. But still, I still wanted to get kind of your input on that. Well, you know what? I do like the idea of a walk-up because you can make them just absolutely stunning, right? And it, you look and you can see the beautiful garnishes and people spend a significant amount of time on them. So it's a display. So it's all about the display. But at the end of the day, I do think that they've worn their, I think that they've kind of met their, we're beyond the walk-up Bloody Mary bar because I find in my years of hospitality, not a lot of people want to be their own bartender. They think that they want to be. But what happens, especially if it's a Bloody Mary, right? And you've, you have about 15 or 17 different hot sauces. Then you got the horseradish. Then you got the pickling. You're like, oh, my gosh. You know, bartender's handing you a two-ounce pour of whatever. And then they're like, okay, go have a good time. Stands, I'm pretty confident that that drink's going to be a little bit unbalanced, right? Yeah. So they're not going to get the second cocktail. They're not going to go up there and do it again. They're going to say, oh, that was a one-off. That was a specialty thing. But I do think that, you know, they have their place, especially in hotels. People love that. I think what people love is bottomless Bloody Marys or bottomless mimosas. They love that. That's what they gravitate to. But at the end of the day, when I'm walking into a restaurant, really not wanting to have my own food, you know, unless it's a buffet, but for the most part, to what you're saying, Jeff, I think that they're kind of outdated and it's the maintenance of it all. You know, yeah. you constantly have to watch it, and especially now with COVID. So they're definitely going to be obsolete if they aren't already. <laughs> and I think you hit the nail on the head. Speaking from a bartender's perspective is bartending can be a lot of fun, but it also can be a lot of work. And you realize that very quickly, like you said, if you get a drink that has five, six, seven ingredients on it, and all of those can be variable, right? All of a sudden it goes from, hey, this is really cool to, uh-oh, what am I doing, right? Exactly. Exactly. I mean, as a mix, I'm not a mixologist. I'm an old school bartender. I'm a vodka tonic girl. I mean, keep it simple. You know, the Gary's things that are really easy. I'm not, I don't put things on fire and, and snap, you know, garden <laughs> uh, herbs together. You know, yeah. although I have the highest respect for mixology, I think it's brilliant and just so phenomenal to watch. I'm kind of old school, right? I, I consider myself kind of like the Balboa Cafe <laughs> bartender right. back in the day, you know, they could pretty much make anything, but they're probably going to give you a snare and say, what? You want right. jasmine and lavender? What? <laughs> that's not gonna happen. So, <laughs> what do you want, right? What do you want? The, <laughs> with right. the, you know, with the East Coast attitude, leaning over the bar. That's we don't have that here. And even at my bar at San Francisco, you could talk to some of my regulars that were there. And I got to tell you, I had eight bar stools. I worked every service. I would go in at four a.m. or I'd actually do the harvesting at four on our property in Nicasio. And then I'd drive into the city, watch the sun come up. We didn't open until nine. It was a nine to four. Thursday through Sunday concept. And nobody, I don't want to say nobody, my husband had faith that this was going to work. But a lot of people are like, what is she talking about? No one's going to get up <laughs> at that hour. I got to tell you, the first day we opened on the Thursday, June 14th of 2018, I was like, oh my God, we got one person. I said, oh, this is going to just be an epic fail. And then, you know, I it just turned out to be the most successful concept out of all the five or six Aside from um, there was international smoke and Italian concept, there's a lot of other concepts that came through there. But Diane's Bloody Mary was the most successful and held five stars with Yelp. Wow! So that was pretty cool. 
Yeah. Um, that is cool. So, you know, with your Bloody Mary mix, something that I found particularly interesting about it is, you know, there's lots of bottled Bloody Mary mixes out there, but the problem is most of them don't make their own tomato juice. They buy it, but you kind of went a different way with that. And that's one of the things I think really sets your product apart. Thank you. I do believe it, it's, we're disrupting a very dirty category, Jeff. I think that, you know, at the end of the day, we, we I've actually chosen, it's all about the product first. So it is heirlooms first. It's about the tomato and then layering the other ingredients that are, again, as I, as I kind of alluded to earlier, it's not rocket science. It's all about balancing. So we are process, product driven, and then process. What, that, what I mean by that is how we actually do the cooking. We take it up to a certain temperature. We only let it go up to about 170 degrees, and then we let it rest. So it's not to that 200, 220 temp you can actually get a shelf-stable product with less high temperature and with real clean ingredients and not having to add stabilizers. A lot of our ingredients actually act as stabilizers with the citruses and savories and vinegars and salt. Right. So that you don't need to over over spice or overuse it. And a lot of people don't realize that tomato juice isn't juice. It's it's sauce. Correct. So, it's, it and, and so, so how you manage that sauce is, is incredibly important. And again, like I said, most mass-produced stuff just omits that step altogether. They do. They do. Or they use a paste. And look, and I got nothing against the paste situation, right? It's anything rendered down. I mean, if you t- any culinary chef will tell you, make it a roux is the best base of any kind of great product. But it's, it's how they layer it in. And as tomato, as we know, is a fruit... It's very, it's a very complex, beautiful ingredient that can really just brings on extra layers without too much complication. So you just have to keep it simple and treat it well. And again, keeping it simple. I mean, what, what are the ingredients in your product now? The ingredients that people grow up on and what people expect. So I've got Tabasco, which is three ingredients. I mean, who doesn't, I'm not going to reinvent a chili pepper because that's right. delicious and it's perfectly balanced, used the right way. And I also, so some of the tricks are, I uh, use a five peppercorn blend. And the reason why I chose that is because, I, again, product driven, I really dissected what people were asking for and what they were looking for. So if they were looking for the spice and sweet and savory and bright and celery, you'll see a lot of the mixers out there really put a lot of sodium celery flavoring in there because people kind of like that's that umami that they they rub their tongue to the top of their mouth and like, oh, that tastes really good. However, it's packed. And it's 900 or 1100 milligrams of sodium for one drink. I went the opposite way. I tested a lot of different tomatoes. The heirloom gave me a beautiful combination of velvety textures, brightness, and the skins and the meat. And it all, it it gave that first product just perfect complexity. Then I started layering the heat, right? So what I knew from my youth, what did I like to taste? I love the horseradish. I love Worcestershire. We do an anchovy free, keep it nice and clean. So it's black. And that also has the molasses and the black pepper and whatnot and vinegars. And then the peppercorns bring different levels of heat and different levers of texture and some earthen tones to it. And then, you know, the tahine has been brought in just from what I grew up with. <laughs> you know, I love tahine. Yeah. And uh, the rest of olive brine for some velvet textures as well. That's a basic Bloody Mary, really, except with, with really enhanced uh, tomato juice without adding a bunch of preservatives, right? Right. And it's very clean. And then we've, you know, I do fold in, you know, we do use, um, I use honey. And I know that's probably people are like, what is that? It's really such a slight amount because the honey 
what when I from my garden when I was growing and creating this product, I wanted something a little bit sweet, and I wasn't sure about the, kind of the sweeteners that are out there. Right. So the honey cooks really well and acts as a stabilizer. It's such a small amount, but people do say to me, "What what's the sweetness of it?" So when you so you have to be really careful, right? You have to be really careful because the tomatoes are already sweet. So that's why I spent a lot of time. The first two years was all R and D and making it batch by batch, serving. 10,000 gallons of it serving, you know, 1100 people every home game at the tailgate. And they told me what they liked about it. So I, I share this beautiful journey with, with people that I've been able to share my passion from very young to what I learned with being with Michael and just my own science side of it. And then I would say to people, what do you think about that? How do you feel about the horse race? What did you think? That's, it's been such an incredible journey. And it's so important because I think we talked about this before. It's not about I can make myself a Bloody Mary very complicated or very simple, but it's about what the people want. Right. That's what we do. That's why we we're in the business that we're in, Michael and I. And so, Diane, uh, all your tomatoes in the beginning were grown in your garden, right? They were. Yep. We we were able to get certified in order to you know produce the tomatoes and uh, you know excuse me grow the tomatoes, harvest the tomatoes, and serve the tomatoes. Yeah. And so now you're you're a much larger production. And uh, so where are you getting your tomatoes now? So now they vary from all over. Um, we have to use more than one source because as we probably, maybe some people don't know, heirlooms aren't year-round. So we go to different areas from Italy to Mexico, uh, parts of Arizona, Florida, and Seattle to find heirlooms that fit the profile. I typically go to heirlooms. I don't use yellows or pinks or orange heirlooms, more on the darker side, black trifle or black from Tula. Those are kind of Russian origin heirlooms. Typically, it's just a garden heirloom that's really clean and delicious, and I try to try them before they go into processing. (laughs) So I can make sure that they fit the profile. And that's the other really cool thing about our product, that it it is consistent in the fact that it always tastes fresh. But we also use fresh ingredients. So one day, especially our Dirty Diane blend, when Michael Jackson did that Dirty Diana song, I just never got (laughs) that song. It just stuck with me. And then I made this other um, blend with jalapeno puree uh, with cucumber and jalapenos and cilantro, what have you. I don't have cucumber in there. That was when I first was making the product from from scratch but i recognized that people wanted a, a second tier of heat so right. when i started bringing in uh from my garden the cilantro and the jalapeno it was i loved it and it but it also turned the product a little bit greener so we actually have fresh leaves we don't use any of the stems we use all the leaves from the cilantro and then chopped up jalapeno add a little bit more coriander to that blend and with the Egyptian celery seed. It's just, it's a very unique, delicious, I mean, I don't know if you guys have tried that one yet, but it's one of my favorites. <laughs> so, well, you also do a michelada blend too for, oh, for, yeah. uh, for beer. Yeah. Right. Well, people were using both of my mixes for micheladas and I just, I didn't think that all those other ingredients that I mentioned to you earlier fit the profile after reading what a traditional michelada was. And a michelada doesn't have tomato juice in it. It's just over ice with, you know, some Worcestershire and some lime, some lime and some salt. So typically it's a sidecar of tomato juice. So right. being in California though, people want the 50-50, they want the bloody beer and they're like, okay. So I was like, well, I'm going to do this as authentic as I can. And it's key lime, our heirloom tomatoes, and the chilies, and then a little tahini. Really clean. But again, I go back to the tomato and how we cook it, how we treat them, because that makes a world of difference. And if we can set the stage for, you know, people loving Bloody Marys all over again, you know, the ones that go, oh, gosh, no, or, oh, my gosh, I love a good Bloody Mary. You know, we want to be 
the latter. <laughs> so. Are there other uh, drink mixes that you're eyeing for the future? I mean, now that you've conquered the tomato, is there something else on uh, the horizon? There is actually, Kevin. There's. I'm actually probably going to bring out about three or four more mixes. I'm actually going to try to do a Long Island iced tea cocktail through garden herbs and spices using turmerics. You kind of just, it's a playoff of a Long Island. And then a margarita. Is it going to have booze in it? Uh, it might be an RTD. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. That's, that's what we're looking at. I'm looking at that right now. Probably not going to do aluminum. I'm probably going to do a glass. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of doing some research of what's happening in the aluminum world today. But yeah, that's down the road. That's probably fa- that's probably late 2021. But prior to that, we have a margarita mix that we're going to do. Some more, again, based on garden herbs and more root right. medicinal side. So we're going to use a lot of the turmeric, the cayennes, uh, the basils, and we're going to use all that with some citruses and make some really beautiful uh, other mixes, all non-alk. Hey, when do you expect those to come out? Well, I mean, let's look at what's happening in the big bad world of production right now. Everybody's kind of on a halt and people are running out of product. So right now we've saved enough inventory. I mean, I have all my recipes. They're in R&D. They've been sitting in the queue because I was about to push the button December of last year. And then we moved to Las Vegas and I was able to find manufacturing. We were moving forward. And then all of a sudden the world turned on a, on a dime on everybody. So I'm hoping again, probably the same time. I launched the DBM came out with two SKUs with Diane's original and the Dirty Diane within the first year, which was really exciting. I, I was nervous about doing one SKU, but then we were able to, we were blessed to do the two SKUs right away. William Sonoma wanted both of them. So that was the blessing there. So then we did the third SKU. The Michelada mix was uh, the year after, so 2019. I think probably I'm ready to rock and roll. I got to get back into the kitchen and do my thing. So I'm hoping late 2021, not earlier. Don't worry about tomorrow. Please join us next time when we welcome back Diane Mia to talk about celebrity chefs, tennis stars, restaurants, and the hospitality industry in general. My name is Jeff Berker. Thanks for listening.